your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that is anti-anti-anti-fascist Brought to you by Statuesque Statue Sealant Keeping your monuments of questionable public figures stuck in place <coughs> since 2004. Um, Should I do that again without a cough? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Just leave it. <laughs> I will leave in that. Don't edit that bit either, Clive. Uh, <laughs> statuesque, uh, statuesque statue sealant might be after us. But like, we didn't really deliver that. Well, no, we took that backhand on then. Look, they did not pay a lot. Trust me, uh, they got they got what they deserved. Um, you're here for <laughs> yeah. I think it, it's, I think in a way it's true to the spirit of the company, isn't it? it exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're here for stick around episode one five three. Um, if you're trying to, if you're still trying to work out whether um, our tagline was anti-fascist or anti-anti-fascist or anti-anti-anti-anti-fascist, <laughs> um, you, you've not been paying attention. Clive, how how are you doing? Um, I am doing pretty good. Yeah, it's went did a bit of drinking last night, so I'm a bit hungover, but not too bad because I did the sensible thing of starting to drink some water a couple of hours before it finished because I'm getting old. Clean shirt. Uh, Michael, <laughs> how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, well, me and Michael were also doing a bit of drinking last night from a social distance safety of his garden. Um, although I'm not I'm not hungover. Are you, Michael? Nah, didn't have enough for that. No, didn't think so. Drinking Corona, naturally. Yeah, it's quite a light <laughs> beer, isn't it? Very, very yeah, cheap yeah. at the minute. Very cheap at the minute. Um, Is it? God knows why. <laughs> I thought it might have gone the other way. I thought everyone might want one because it's like, oh, I'm yeah. drinking Corona, lads, lads, lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's basically free marketing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, no news is bad news. <laughs> I mean, just to be clear, me and Michael weren't drinking it ironically. Um, we were just drinking it because it's cheap and it's quite nice. <laughs> it's a decent light beer. It is. I feel like it's what one of the things it's good about it is it always comes in a glass uh, bottle, and I think beer out of a glass bottle is just better. Yeah, yeah, cans are okay. Um, in fact, you always get craft beers out of cans. You never seem to get them out of a bottle. But um, the yeah, lowest, if, you, sorry, if you're having a lager, you want a glass bottle. The lowest of the low is plastic cups. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. No, that just ruins it. It's like there's no point buying anything decent. You might as well have a... That's why when you go to a gig, it's like no point getting a craft beer. Yeah, and plus at a gig, they're already extortionate. <laughs> yeah. Christ, yeah. Yeah, I remember buying uh, a seven-pound pint of Brewdog while watching The Tallest Man on Earth, and I thought, <laughs> oh, what a waste. <laughs> Not the watching part. <laughs> Gig was great. <laughs> I should have should have just got a carling. I, I Gig never was get great, a... but that's the main thing you now remember about it. <laughs> Is it just me who never gets a pint at a gig? For, yeah, for those reasons, they're really expensive. Um, they taste horrible. Um, Actually, no, I, get... do, I do sometimes go, oh, I'll have a pint, but... I think they've got more expensive lately. I think I've reached yeah. my limit. Thing is, <laughs> I've drawn a line. You, <laughs> yeah. don't, you don't have enough. You don't have enough time to get more than one anyway. Usually, so you're not going to get a buzz on. You've got your horrible warm pint that you've paid, you know, half a month's wages for, and you know it's not improving anything. Um, I'm against it. 
I just end up oh, getting it because other people do. But yeah, and then, you, then you've also got the problem that you might need a wee halfway through and then uh, going to the toilet can sometimes be a ball ache, especially if you're near the front. Oh, yeah, you're not getting back there as well. No. Right. Maybe. Well, we'll get this one kicked off. Um, we're going to go to Eagles Cliff. Clive, can I have an eagle noise, please? <laughs> Michael Johnson, what have you got for us? Yeah, I'm going to talk about an, uh, an album I've been listening to a bit. It's one that uh, is still orbiting the upper echelons of the UK albums chart, I believe, after coming out at the back end of last year. It's uh, I think it's easy to forget now, isn't it, that um, obviously albums can chart based on streaming. So albums could theoretically never leave the top ten. How do they um, work? I don't know if you know this, Michael. Does that mean, for example, if, you, if your album's got 25 songs and someone listens all the way through, that counts more than someone who's put nine songs on? I don't know. Or is it done I'm on a sure. all the way through <clears throat> basis? You'd want it to, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but I'm not entirely sure how it works because obviously, obviously whichever song is streamed contributes to the singles chart. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure on that, but... That was what I realised when I saw that like Lewis Capaldi's album was still at, like number two or something daft at the start of this year, and I was like, "Well, how can anyone still be buying that?" And I realised it's obviously it's obviously streaming because eventually you'd think you'd run out of people who could actually buy it. Um, mm. But even even when it was all based on physical sales, you did get albums that could spend like over a year in the top ten, and you're thinking, "Well, who's still buying that album now? Like, how have they not already bought it?" But you know, yeah. Uh, so th- this is an album that's well, it hasn't been out anywhere near as long as that but it's still uh, it's still showing a lot of endurance and that is uh, Fine Line by Harry Styles there's been some big singles from the album uh, Adore You came out around the same time as the album and I remember at the start of lockdown every time I went out in the car um, if the if the UK charts were on uh, it was still so it was still floating around near the top of the charts so it, it showed a lot of endurance and it's um an excellent little pop bop of a song, memorable melodies. I like the bass line, and it's got those two. It's got those two mini guitar solos in the uh, in the bridge, and then at the very end, just uh, you know, very small sort of flickers of of guitar soloing um, that add a lot of character to the song. So it's a great package. And then at the moment, um, the album's other, uh, other big single, Watermelon Sugar, is still. Is still doing quite well by the look of it, and that that's a that's um, that's a song that really def- defines most of the aesthetic of the album. It's uh, very sugary sweet, but no less enjoyable for that. Although it's been it's been suggested a lot that, that the the central imagery of the song are a, are a metaphor for oral sex. So don't know if that's true or not. But the the album actually it's um, well it's the sort of it's it's uh, it's pop based and it has quite a lot of ro- it has some rock influence. But it's um, it's sort of quite a psychedelic pop-based album in the 60s, 70s vein. A uh, track like Canyon Moon especially is very 60s sounding. It's the sort of album where I think if, if it was the, the 80s, for example, you know, by this point that, that sort of sound had worn away a little bit. I think it's during that era, the, the, um, the Reagan-Thatcher era, um, you know, the, the real rise of neoliberalism, when time really started to fold back on itself, it's after that where it became a lot more common for acts to project back into the past and salvage sounds from from back then, which is why I think 
it makes it makes sense now to have albums like this that which are not remotely innovative and are entirely derivative but i think you know they can they can still be enjoyable and very listenable and this is um there's a lot of other great tracks on the album uh and it's a little bit more diverse than i've given it credit for there i mean um the the title track which closes the album in terms of structure and build it's almost a, quite post rocky um it's definitely one of the more interesting pieces here and it builds to a a brassy crescendo uh, which is very satisfying especially as an ending to the album the opening track golden is a definite standout for me it bubbles along on a a jaunty sort of melody and rhythm and oh there's also the guitar suite she which is again um another track that sort of stands out as being quite singular amongst the mix of tracks and the tr- the ballad uh, Fallen has been um, has had a, had plenty of attention as well. It was also released as a single, and I really like Cherry as well. It's a, it's a very nicely written little love song as well, which is the main theme of the album. Uh, but the best track on the album is Sunflower Volume Six. Uh, I don't know why it hasn't been released as a single because it's uh, it's a superb pop song. Um, definitely definitely the highlight of the album for me. Uh, but I think I'm all, I've de- I think I've definitely got a soft spot for um for acts which uh, come from a sort of boy band background and then make that successful crossover. The classic example is Justin Timberlake of course. And although he doesn't come from a a boy band, I'd put Justin Bieber in the same sort of bracket. Uh, I haven't heard his latest album yet, but um it seemed to be mostly disliked, but then I saw some music writers that I, I really like um online praising it which uh, they seem to stand out from the crowd in doing, so I'd be quite interested to hear it, but Purpose was a, a, a strong crossover album, for sure. Contains some of the 90s best, uh, the 2010s, sorry, best pop songs, I felt. So I think Styles is uh, is doing something similar in that vein, but this is a much more... This is a much much, much more of a, um album that'll appeal to fans of musicality. It's not entirely pop-based in the way the albums like Purpose and Future Sex Love Sounds really were. Uh, I think this is a little bit more interesting, and uh, in, as an artist, he's um, he's cultivating an image and a following for himself that I think does branch out beyond the um, you know the the One Direction based fame that he already had in the bank, which is obviously a help to an artist coming out as a solo act. Uh, so I haven't heard his previous album either, but I'm definitely inclined to check it out now because I like, really like this one, uh, and it's. Um, very listenable, very enjoyable pop album. It's nothing more than that, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think it's a great listen. Mm. I've um, I've not listened to any of Harry Styles' solo work, but I have. You're not the first to say that it's you know pretty good. And, and he's not really he's not the first either to branch away from a pop group and get more credible. Yeah. I, I believe you've listened to the Seventy Club, or am I making it up? <clears throat> no, no, you're not making that up. Yeah, I pretty much agree with uh, what Michael said. I really enjoyed it. It's been a while now, so I can't comment massively on each song. Um, but yeah, it's a, like I say, a really kind of listenable pop album that's not going down the the pop. It's kind of like it's like, like you say, it's kind of it's derivative because it sounds a bit like older pop. Yeah, but that's quite refreshing at the moment because I think most pop is like very modern and which is great. There's some great stuff, but um, there's not that much stuff like this coming out now. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true actually. <laughs> and, yeah. And um, there's 
something to be said for like you say it is, it is derivative there's nothing really you know nothing in it you, you go you you sort of think oh it's a bit different but it's a bit different because it sounds like something that's older rather than it's a bit different because it's not like anything you've heard um but also there's there's room for that kind of going back to an older style and uh trying to write songs again in that style i think there's i don't know i quite like that idea i think he's quite um like image wise he's going for a bit of a bowie vibe mm-hmm. yeah um which is yeah well it's just interesting seeing someone like I think it can be as fascinating um, watching someone toy with what image they're trying to go for as it can be the music sometimes. And uh, yeah, he's certainly taken an interesting direction on that front. It's, and I think that's what is helping him stand out a bit rather than... There's plenty of people who come out of boy bands and release an album with their name and you're just a bit like... It's just a bit bland. Everything's a bit bland. It's like yeah, well, straight, straight down the middle pop. Yeah, well, They've not really done what... anything about their image. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically what Zayn Malik's done. Um, mm. I mean, I'm no expert, but it seems that way. Um, so I think I'm that's going to go and shut the door because I can hear sh- the shower probably uh, coming through. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of a live podcast <laughs> <laughs> that isn't Would actually you... live, but yeah. Well, you shut up, Michael. It's definitely live. You know, <laughs> you're breaking the fourth wall here. <laughs> wink, um... wink. Come back. Come back. <laughs> I think I think again this is one I'll probably give it a go. Um, you know, generally speaking, pop music is, you know, very well you know, it's accessible to everybody, so I feel like anybody can appreciate it. Um you know, yeah, I well, only take I think that's definitely true of this album, yeah. Mm, yeah. And I, I only take, you know, my music recommendations from one source. That's Michael Johnson. Uh, and Clive Fisher, <laughs> but you know related <laughs> ad on the <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's been tacked on there. But all right. Um, no, the, I'm, I'm the, joking. The other thing I really like about this album is it wasn't instant for me either. Like some tracks were, but as a whole, it grew on me, and that's always a lot more rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Especially for a pop album where it is stuff is usually a bit more immediate. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit, a bit surprising in that sense. Yeah. At first, I just thought, well, this is yeah, it's a decent pop album. Yeah, don't know how much more I'll go back to it. Now I actually really like it, so that's good. Perfect. Okay, well, we'll move on to uh, Clive Fisher in Sheffield. We don't have a noise for Sheffield. I think we've tried this before, but... We've tried to do some sort of steel situation, but it just comes out a bit like a bird again. Yeah. can do it. Go on, then. Go for it. That's like steel on steel. Yeah, that that works. Big factory. Big factory. Is it... (laughs) When Sheffield was mentioned there, I'm not going to lie, the first thing that popped into my head was trees. You can't really, you can't really make a what, noise for them, can you? Unless, the noise of one being dropped down, maybe? What about, what about a hooting from an owl? That could work. The owls. I don't know how owls hoot. I should know because I love bloody owls. But, um, <laughs> no, that's that wasn't an impression. Around. That was an owl that just flew in. Yeah, literally just... <laughs> 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 I'll pet owl. Uh, we'll think on it. Could do some wind going through the trees. <laughs> not bad, not bad. I like that. Anyway, what have you got for us? Clive? We should have a we should have a Twitter poll. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. People should send in their noises, but it's got to be easily doable. Like yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not taking up foley lessons just to oh, so we, do this. We bloody. can't just play their noise. We have to actually learn it. That's how yeah, it works. exactly. <laughs> Um, I'm going to talk about a thing, a, a thing, a TV show that me and Elle finished um, 
well, last week, uh, which is called Orphan Black. I don't know whether anyone else has seen it. We can get into that later. It's a let me read. Let me do my usual thing of reading the Wikipedia description before I tell you my thoughts. Uh, it's a Canadian science fiction thriller. Um, Created by Graham M- M- Manson, not Mason, and director John Fawcett. It stars Tatiana Maslany um, as several clones, which kind of uh, tells you what it's about. I think the best way to talk about it is to reveal a little bit of what happens in the first five minutes of the first episode. There's not much of a spoiler, but um, essentially, there's a woman on the train platform. She sees another woman's face, realizes that she looks exactly like her, and then this other woman jumps in front of a train and kills herself. The woman then, the woman who watches it, then assumes this other person's identity because she's in a bit of a, a lot of shit with her other identity, and ends up kind of webbed into this huge situation where there's clones and it's just all very messy. And um, yeah, the, the, it's essentially that, but for <laughs> for five five seasons of ten episodes because it is, I guess because it's Canadian, it's more. I think it's BBC. Um, so certainly BBC comes up at the start all the time so I don't know whether it was shown on the BBC because like I said it's Canadian um, I believe it was done BBC America did it um, in association with Temple Street Productions apparently so it's following that more 10 episode thing rather than 24 episodes that a lot of um, American dramas follow um, I'd describe it I suppose it's it's definitely a drama but it has um, something that ties in with the next point a lot of um, it kind of fits into a lot of genres but <laughs> So Tatiana Maslany, like I say, plays the plays the the clones. She plays all of them, and perhaps one of the most remarkable things is the way that's implemented. Because although all the clones have very different personalities, because they're obviously trying to make them as different as possible, so that it's easy to tell uh, because they all have the same face. Um, Tatiana Maslany plays them absolutely brilliantly, and like they're dressed differently, they have different accents, they are completely different, like. Way that, ways they move their hands, their body language is different. Everything's obviously been thought about, and you're completely sold on the fact that these are completely different people, which is quite impressive considering it is just one person. And it is very much a testament of acting, because I think I, th- I think sometimes like there's great performances, but actually they're probably just being themselves a bit. Um, this absolutely can't be the case here because she's doing so many different things, um, and each of them is completely uh, you know believable and. It's also quite interesting, actually, how much you can do with somehow someone dresses, well, how they do their hair, their accent, how that can make them be perceived completely differently, um, even though it is literally the exact same person. So there's quite an interesting side point to that. But like I say, with the different genres, what's interesting is each of the clones kind of brings a different genre to the program. One lives this kind of like idyllic suburban life on the surface, but under the hood, there's all this kind of weird stuff going on that her and her husband get into and it's kind of a it's kind of reminds me of like a black comedy the parts with them in um and then there's one in particular in particular that has a kind of traumatic childhood um in a i think it's a russian nunnery or certainly a, a, a religious institution in in russia somewhere uh who brings the kind of horror element um she's particularly in the first couple of seasons very very scary um a bit unpredictable a bit uh, she gets described as feral in the program and yeah, they, they kind of come together and try to figure out what's going on, basically. And it's a re- it's a those things are really good about it. I think the the music is generally done well. It's quite, um, especially the more horror side of things, it's quite graphic at times, and the music's done in a way that makes it a bit psychologically, a bit of a psychological horror as well as at times a graphic one. And I like the sci-fi element. I like where it's going in terms of, you know, ask some interesting questions about identity and, um, 
you know messing around with trying to create perfect humans and the problems with that and the kind of well i guess the ethical implications of human cloning for a start um and i like that i would say this would have been great as like maybe two or three seasons it would have, would have made it better in my opinion i think it was got overly long and i think every time there's a new season i don't know whether how many seasons were planned from the start i've not um, read into that but it just seemed like every time they got a new season, there was another layer of hierarchy on top of wherever they'd got to before, um, which was sort of interesting at times. And I quite liked um, how the whole thing ended. But yeah, it just felt a little bit overly long. But as we know, I have history of uh, thinking things are a bit long if they're even remotely long. Um, but I'd definitely recommend watching it if you're not if if the you know if it sounds appealing. And I do think Tatiana Maslany's performance in it is is a pretty remarkable thing. And also actually. It's the only time I've really seen. Um, I don't know how they do it. I'd like to look into it, but it, there's like three Tatiana Maslanis walking around on the screen at once, and they're all talking to each other. And I'm a bit like, "What's going on?" And usually, it's done really well. Um, there's there's the odd time where like you can tell she's not really looking into her eyes or something, but it's stuff like that which is quite minor. Um, it certainly never looks like they've just been CGI'd in. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but um, and it's not the kind of thing of like where they're just sat on an opposite side of a table either. They're like mingling and um, in the same room with each other, which is interesting. Um, the other other couple of characters that I really like are um, I should have looked up who they are in terms of the cast, but um, a character called Siobhan who plays um, the main character, the main clone, Sarah Manning's foster mother. She's great. She's just kind of like no messing about. She's like a I'd equate her to a Liam Neeson. Um, she's just like yeah don't fuck with Siobhan she's going to mess you up uh, <laughs> uh, she's great and then also um, Felix who's the main clone Sarah Manning's uh, brother and he's um, like this sort of gay art artsy uh, very flamboyant guy uh, with a British accent it turns out he doesn't actually speak Brit- um, have a British accent I've realised um, he, sound- he sounds very very British but he's got an American accent or me- maybe Canadian I guess yeah I thought he was a really great character too um, really well played and he's kind of in the middle of all these clones helping him out um, so yeah it's a it's a programme with good characters it has decent I- I'd say I guess I don't know it's difficult it like finished and I wasn't really sure <laughs> where to put it but I think it's because it was almost too long and it almost I quite like my sci-fis to end before you really know what's going on and I don't know if that's a you know that's probably not something everyone thinks of but I find sometimes when you reveal what's going on it can be a little bit underwhelming and it, it, even though I did like how this ended I prefer it sometimes like I say when there's when the ending's left in a bit of a mystery and I think sometimes tv shows can ruin that by going on too long and just not having that kind of um, mystery ending. But yeah, it's it's similar to like a book. I think I read it at the start of the year. The first book of the, there's the Walter Wool Omnibus, which is like a thing written by Hugh Howie about a post-apocalyptic future where we're all living in silos. And the first book was great. I really like this. The second one is like a prequel, which I enjoyed as well. But I don't really want to watch read the last one because I feel like it might ruin it. I don't know. And it almost, it got... I almost the my favorite thing about the book is almost the very first short story, which is the first chapter, which I think is what he released at first, because then you don't really know what's going on, and I think there's kind of some beauty to that. <laughs> Whereas the, the more you read, the more you realize what's going on, and the less magic it almost becomes. But um, yeah, so I definitely recommend it. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I feel like someone's talked about it on the podcast before, but I could be wrong. 
Um, well, I, I've seen the the first season, uh, and I, I really have. enjoyed it. This was years ago, though, and I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty certain I didn't mention it on the podcast. Um, I'll be honest; I don't remember a great deal about it. Um, I think I watched it on Netflix, and then I think they only had the first season, or possibly I might have watched the first two seasons. Well, it came out in 2013. It says here. Right. Well, they definitely. I've definitely watched either one or two seasons. I definitely enjoyed it. And then, for whatever reason, when other seasons got added, I just didn't continue. I think perhaps because it was too long a time between when I'd watched them, and I felt like I hadn't remembered it enough. So, when you're mentioning these names and these various different versions um, of the clone, I can remember vaguely what they're like, but I, I couldn't go on to a third season, for example. I'd have to rewatch the first two. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember it being a very intriguing prospect and um, a really good like series of performances, really. Did you watch this at all, Michael? I don't think I'm guessing you probably haven't. But no, I don't. I don't really know much. Really know much about it, to be honest. No, I haven't seen it. Fair, I hadn't heard of it until we started watching it. So. The only all I've got to offer is that um, when Clive said what's going on about the um, about the replication of the character on screen. Your intonation sounded exactly like uh, when Alan Partridge does the opening of The Spy Who Loved Me. And he goes, um, why are all the cups wobbling? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) One of the finest moments of British comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Some Russians following him with lead piping. (laughs) He does a somersault. I'm not sure why, but he's not showing off. (laughs) (laughs) Completely Billy Bollocks. (laughs) <laughs> Stop getting Bond wrong I remember I don't know if you remember this Clive But I remember at uni when I had a desire to Go around charity shops Finding James Bond VHS's Put them all in a box this, and actually, with, with a, a double pinter of Sunny D Just for a laugh But um, I don't think we ever found any I think people tend to hang on to the James Bond VHS's <laughs> Yeah Yeah they're ruined <laughs> <laughs> would you would you recommend that as overall if you're giving this i know score we don't really do scores on this podcast but if you were to give it an arbitrary mark out of 10 clive overall (laughs) this is a curveball for the whole thing maybe like a seven in between a seven and an eight are we doing a pitchfork is it a seven point something yeah i think it is i'm one of (laughs) those people (laughs) right okay because i I, let's go seven point four Okay, feels, like, I need feels, a, I, feels right. I need a bit of help to decide whether I will take this up again. I think I might, uh, because I definitely remember enjoying it. Um, but we live in this era where there's about a million different amazing TV shows out there. Um, and I like to commit to things. Like it's, it's actually quite rare that I haven't watched the entire thing of something. So this is a rare situation, but um, I'll have to give it another go, I think. Cool. Um, well, we'll a lot move of, on to I'm me. Say, a lot of birds keep flying past from my window, but none of them are eagles, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. For God's sake. Maybe they're being chased by an eagle. I was thinking, yeah. Which is about e- to come. The eagle needs to turn up and clear up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Australian rules football games. Maybe, maybe the eagles have been scared off by the noises that we make. Uh, perhaps yeah. they think there are others in their territory. We've confused them. Yeah, quite possibly. They can't, well, do, they can't in, um, distinguish between steel and eagles either. No, not a chance. <laughs> no, we've got problems. <laughs> um, what happens in Australian rules football matches uh, to do with eagles? 
Well, they have a, they have a bird. I don't know. They have. I don't know exactly what goes on, but they have a bird of prey that they use to clear the stadium of birds. I don't. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I'm not entirely sure why they have to. I guess just so there's not a lot because the, obviously the pitch is massive. I don't know if mm. it's just so they don't have birds congregating on it. I don't know. I'll, let's look that up. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. I saw um, a clip of an NFL match the other day. Um, obviously, it wasn't being played the other day, yeah. but um, where a pigeon just was like lining up. <laughs> and then charge towards the ball carrier. <laughs> oh, brilliant! It was great. Um, that that sounds like a Pixar movie. That's like a concept. A pigeon who just really well, wants to play a movie. I, I, <laughs> I wish I knew the full story, but it was after. It was like the weekend after uh, somebody for the Raiders had died, and I can't remember. Oh, I wish I knew his name. It's Martellus Bennett or something. I'm, that's completely off the top of my head. Could, could be completely wrong. I think Martellus um, Bennett's still alive, but. Okay, not him then. <laughs> anyway, some raider died, and apparently another friend was like, "Oh, it's him!" Because apparently he was stood exactly where he used to line up. Wow. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Maybe it came came back as a pigeon and thought he wanted to get involved. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> love it when animals get involved in full. The best is obviously when they pick up a golf ball and just screw someone's game up. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> The best thing I've ever seen happen with a bird at an NFL game, though, was when the Seattle Seahawks, Seahawk, went rogue, flew into the stand and landed on a fan's head. <laughs> well well worth looking up on YouTube. <laughs> the, guy, the guy's absolutely terrified, as I think you would be. <laughs> I love it. I don't know where to sit on this guy's head. I don't know what went wrong or whatever, but... Yeah. Jesus. Okay, um, my turn. Um, we need a nicer Stockton, by the way. Um, could you possibly, Michael? Yeah. No, 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 no. I would like to, to hear Michael doing an impression of a passenger railway. <laughs> Not a railway. You know, I want a passenger railway specifically. Uh, I don't know. You need people chatting at... Yeah, you need people chatting as well, though. So, Michael, you make that noise. Clive, the background. I, I want you to have a little conversation between, with yourself while he's doing that. Okay, so I'll count, count you in. Three, <laughs> two, one. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you want from the um, from the trolley? Um, I'll, have, I'll, have, I'll have a tea, please, a Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Next stop, Darlington. Next stop, Darlington. <laughs> It's like we're there. It's like we're there. <laughs> All dreams disembark here. <laughs> Do you have you ever had a, um, been on a train where you've had like some some train conductor who thinks he's like a comedian? Oh yeah. To be fair, I enjoy it, but um, yeah, it's funny. I can't think of a great example, but I've been on a few where the guy's just definitely having a laugh, uh, <laughs> which is always always good fun. Fair play. Anyway, they they, they make it yeah. their own, don't they? Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'll take over mine. I've got two things I want to talk about today, but only very briefly. Um, first one I'm going to talk about is a film from 2014, but it was new to me when I watched it. A uh, documentary film uh, called Next Goal Wins. Um, you, I don't know if you'll have heard of this before or not, but um, it's a documentary film about the American Samoan uh, national football team. Uh, probably most famous for having the most humiliating defeat in international football history when they lost 31-0 to Australia. Since then, they still hadn't uh, won a match and they're getting a bit tired of getting kicked around, basically. 
so they hired in real life a Dutch football coach by the name of Thomas Rang- Rongen. And this is a documentary of him trying to shape them up and potentially qualify for the World Cup. Um, it's one of those documentaries that is basically needs to be seen to be believed, which isn't to say that anything massively um, dramatic happens, but the level of chemistry, the characters, the natural comedic occurrences are absolutely brilliant. Um, had, had, you, had you heard of this before, Clive? I feel like you might have done. No, I haven't. No, but it sounds great. I'm totally. Going it is. <laughs> it is honestly right. It's one of the. It's one of those documentaries where we see all these documentaries. You know, true crime. You know, making a murderer. Um, you know, guys about. You know, about police brutality, about wrongful conviction. It's sometimes nice to see a documentary that's basically a real life, heartwarming underdog story, um, and with a fascinating set of characters. I mean, for example, one of the uh, the American Samoan players is a trans woman, and she became the first trans woman to play uh, international football during this documentary. Um, and what I found very interesting, actually, on that on that topic was that the American Samoan community, and m- maybe somebody will correct me because I've only got a rudimentary understanding, actually have a very specific word for trans people, which isn't derogatory and seems to have been accepting... Uh, for generations, I, I I won't even try and pronounce the word, but you can look it up. And um, what really makes the documentary though is how eccentric the Dutch coach is. Uh, he's a guy called Thomas Rongen, who he's a former professional who actually briefly played with uh, Johan Cruyff. Um, he loves making as a coach. He's been living out of America, um, but he's got hanging over his head the kind of the tragedy of his daughter dying, and he's got. He's kind of committed himself to being a almost a football purist. And um, the way he coaches the team, particularly with a very strong uh, inflected Dutch accent, often makes for um, you know unexpected hilarity. Uh, like he's trying to encourage them to be more aggressive on the pitch and somebody makes a slide tackle and uh, knocks him over, basically. And he just... Uh, and my apologies for the accent here. Yeah, I think I just did a shat in my pants. Uh <laughs> Um, honestly, if you get a chance, you know, there's you couldn't do a, a kind of a Hollywood setup of where it starts with a team losing thirty-one nil, having never won a match in their history, and then go from there. They are the most shambolic team in the history of football, yet it's a heartwarming, heartwarming tale. And interestingly enough, it is actually being ad- ad- um, it's being adapted by Taika Waititi into a drama film. Uh, well, co- comedy drama film, I'm assuming. Um, it's going to be starring Michael Fassbender as the coach Rongen and Elizabeth Moss. So if you're um, if you're in un- any doubt about what kind of great story it is to attract that level of talent, I feel is a a good indication. But I would really say see this one first. Oh, and it also looks like it's scripted by Ian Morris, the creator of The Inbetweeners. So that could that could work very well as well. Mm, how, do, how do you spell I was this? Say Wati- Sorry, Michael. No, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, Watiti seems like the perfect person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Michael? How do you spell this coach's surname? Um, yeah. R- <laughs> Hang on. Uh, R-O-N-G-E-N. Right, because when you pronounce it wrong, and it does it does just sound like he's out of a Martin Amis book. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, well, it's it's worth repeating the Frankie Boyle joke, I think, because uh, obviously the source of the joke is I think there's a character called Lionel Asbo in one of uh, Martin Amis's <laughs> books, and then Frankie Frankie Boyle said uh, the government think that all working class people have names like characters in Martin Amis books, like Dave Rubbish. <laughs> That is, I would. That's a great name, though, Dave Rubbish. I mean, <laughs> it is kind of, yeah. You know, I don't know, something, something charming about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, Thomas. What's Rung- your name? Rubbish. <laughs> <Dave Rubbish. laughs> Thomas Rongan is not a Rongan. I'll give him that. Um, Thanks for clarifying. That's what we wanted. That's what we were yeah. looking for. Yeah, he's got a good heart, and he's he's sometimes a bit almost enthusiastically aggressive. But he's a good. He seems, <laughs> comes across as a good coach and a guy who knows his football. Um, and again, like all great sports documentaries, you don't need to be that interested in football to like this. Um, but it's gripping. It's heartwarming. It's funny. Um, it's. I've got to say, it's probably the best underdog story that I've ever seen. Anyway, at least on documentary format. And I really enjoyed it, and I think I forgot to watch this. I, 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 I can't imagine anyone coming away from this and not thinking, "Yep, that was absolutely fantastic." And I'll be very interested to see this adaptation. Where's it available again? Sorry. Uh, so it's on the Sky Documentary Channel. If you've oh, got it, yeah. uh, if you've got any kind of cable thing, I'm sure it's available on the high seas as well. But um, yeah, well, well worth your time. Yeah, sounds good. Um. Before we move on completely, can I ask you, what is, and this this may be putting you on the spot, you may not have an answer for this, but <laughs> what is your favourite sports documentary? So, And you can say series or you can say film. Well, that's a great question. Let me have a quick think. Um, there definitely will be something that comes to mind. I know what mine is. Go on then. I'm just going to check who. I'm pretty sure mine is by uh, ESPN. I'll just check that. Yeah, it's by ESPN. It's an ESPN documentary. Uh, four days in October. It's okay. um, it's already quite short. I think it's about an hour long, uh, and it covers the uh, the last four games of the 2004 American League Championship Series in uh, Major League Baseball. Um, obviously, the biggest rivalry in baseball between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. The Red Sox, of course, famously had not won the World Series since, I think it's 1918. And in 2004, they were quite well fancied employing the Moneyball um, methods that, of course, were immortalised in the film previously used by the uh, Auckland Athletics. And they um, they went into the Championship Series, which decides one of the places in the World Series against the Yankees, um, quite tipped. And then they found themselves three games uh, to nothing down. Now I think there's been there's been four comebacks from three nothing down to win a series four three in ice hockey, but I think most of them have been since the turn of the century. Uh, so, so it's pretty rare. Uh, it's never happened in the NBA, and it never happened in baseball. But uh, still today, the only time it has happened was in this series. The Red Sox went on to win four three, and um, and went on to win the World Series, of course, for the first time in uh, so many years. Uh, and it, what I love about it is it's it just captures uh, the beauty of not just sports but sports fandom. Uh, you know the um, the struggle that is sometimes you know dedicating your time and following to a sports team, 
and it's one of those documentaries that this is the best thing about sports documentaries the best sports documentaries it's one of those ones you don't need to understand baseball to watch it and it's one of those things where I come away you come away from it feeling sorry really for people who aren't into sport because you can't replicate it and I think this documentary really captures that more than any other for me it's a very emotional watch I find uh, especially especially as a supporter of a lot of teams who are perennial underdogs. And uh, the Red Sox have won four World Series uh, in total, uh, starting with this that one in 2004. So they couldn't be classed as underdogs anymore, but certainly for a very long time, they were, well, they were serial losers, basically, when it came to any sort of big game. Excellent. Uh, Clive, have you got any, have you got, have you picked one? <laughs> um, I've struggled because I don't think I've actually seen very many, because I've, what I was thinking of, they're all films that aren't uh, <laughs> documentaries. So obviously I really enjoyed The Last Dance. I couldn't really think of another one that I've watched. But uh, what I'll mention is, obviously Friday Night Lights, the TV show and the film are uh, not documentaries, even though they're based on real events. But the, uh, well, kind of loosely. The book um, I've mentioned is, Friday Night Lights is about H.G. Bissinger, I think he's called, I don't know you pronounce it, but um, who fo- basically follows a, um, I think it's the Permian Panthers, team uh, i can't remember if he does it for one or two years it's quite a long book um this high school team in america and that's one of my favorite kind of s- true true sports stories i guess um, and i don't really remember the thing i think I remember being most striking about it is the fact that this team went out to you know pretty big crowds uh, these kids are really young <laughs> and for a lot of them that's kind of the the highlight of their life in a way that's and it's kind of all in a, and just the kind of sadness of that, in a way, um, that they're kind of going out there playing these games at whatever fifteen to a massive crowd, and then after that, it's just normal job. Because uh, you know, I don't think any of them made it into even. I think a couple make it into college. Um, no, none of them make it into the NFL, um, which is just kind of I don't know, just kind of definite sadness to it. But um, yeah, it's a great book, and I definitely recommend reading it. It's been I think I read it probably like fifteen years ago, so it's been a while and I can't really talk about it in depth but I remember being really struck by it so that's what I'd recommend here there probably is some documentary that I'm not remembering but yeah okay um aside from this which obviously you can probably tell I'm very high on um I would last chance you definitely stand out for me as a uh, you know a, a, a series documentary series on American football documenting basically literally the last chance of troubled but talented kids that's again. Net, that's on Netflix, isn't it? It is. It's really worth watching. So you've got the first two seasons are at the same team. The third season and the first two seasons are at the same team who are a team who are used to winning all the time. Uh, the third season is at a team who are not as used to winning. Um, but it's yeah, really worth your time. It, it kind of captures the the absurdly intense nature of college sport in America. Like I think to us, we just don't get it. You know, uni sport in this country in this country is you know serious ish to the people who take it. You know, take part in it, but very serious. It doesn't ha- yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't have as much on the line, does it? Um, no, it's like you. Yeah, we were looking to draw any crowd, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Which when when you've got people falling over potholes, destroying their knees, probably good. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, First class athleticism. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Clive, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um, no, I didn't in particular. No, um, other than I'm not going to talk about massively. But I'm doing my 1967 article at the minute. I'm about halfway through, so that should be up 
at some point soon. Um, and it might be, the reason I'm mentioning it here is, I think it could be the strongest year yet. I'm pretty sure it is. Wow. Might not have like my favourite overall album on it, but it's just, they're all really, really good. Considering that we've passed the, we've passed, not entirely passed, uh, but gone past that very peak of Dylan. That's an interesting observation. Mm. Um, yeah, well, it's just obviously, like I say, the uh, 66 and 65 have my two very favourite albums, Blonde on Blonde and Highway 61 Revisited, but 67 has got just, I think they're just all really bloody good. It's quite hard to put them in order. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. It's a very strong year. And again, I've gone and done, I'm doing 10 again because I'm an idiot. I'm never going to get this done. I need to stick to five. <laughs> Sorry, enjoy it. Enjoy it while you're yeah. doing it. Well, we, I, I, I'm going to, I think I'm a couple of years behind on your on your lists, but I will be reading them all. Now, you've got me excited about 67 now. Very excited. Michael Johnson, did you have any anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I'm just, I'll just talk about something else quickly. Um, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention The Last Dance there, by the way. Um, I, know, I know it's very current, I, so it doesn't really feel like we need to, but I think it is actually, or it will be on that level, probably. Well, I, I kind of almost deliberately didn't mention it just because of how much we've talked about yeah. it already. As, yeah, of course. As great, as great as it is. And I think um, as much as I'm still very high on it um, and I still really enjoyed it, I think my my thoughts on it have slightly soured um, based on things I've learned after the fact, which doesn't make the documentary any less great, but makes me question the journalistic credibility a little bit. What, just because, uh, the, just because the end of the... Of his career's missed off it, or was not there, just was that. Ju- well, just the fact that his 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 own production company had final say on everything, yet didn't put their names in the credits, um, which suggests they know that that's a little bit complicated. Oh, really, that's strange. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, it doesn't change the fact it's great, and I understand that the majority of it is you know the truth, but it's it, you know it's a little bit of an edited truth. I think. Yeah, well, I think it was the only, it was the only way that was ever, it was ever going to be made. So. Oh yeah, I'm not complaining that. But it, it was as as a Wizards fan, of course, it was disappointing. Nep, they're not mentioned, you know. Bit mm-hmm. of a strange one. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I still think it was brilliant. I, you know, it would comfortably make my probably my top five of these type of documentaries. Um, but yeah, that that slightly irked me. Put it that way. Yeah, of course, makes sense. Yeah, that was right. Uh, well, uh, what, just before I talk about an album very quickly, I was just going to say that um, uh, I I couldn't. I couldn't find anything strangely on why they employ birds in that way in Australian rules football, uh, but I did. <laughs> I did find the he- this headline: uh, Aussie rules player bounces ball off pigeon in stunning dribble move. Um, <laughs> Poor pigeon. So that that's, might be worth. Surely that's not out. really bouncing off pigeon. That's just squashing the pigeon. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe the pigeon was flying. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a worth a watch. Of course. I the, mean, the perfect thing about it is the fact that he plays for the Collingwood Magpies. <laughs> but yeah, you know the fact that that pigeon's gone back to his mates and is saying, "Yeah, I got an assist today." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One two. Maybe it's the same pigeon that was in this NFL match. He just goes round. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about very quickly. I'm going to talk about um, the new album by the New Zealand metal band Ulcerate. Uh, it's called uh, "Stare Into Death and Be Still." Um, also have been quite a standalone band in terms of style uh, they're comparable to some of the darkest most experimental metal bands of the last few decades such as Neurosis 
uh, Gargut's Death Spell Omega. But the the strange thing about them is that they they really have their cake and eat it in terms of styles. For me, atmospheric sludge metal was the was the the leader during the noughties, and then during the twenty tens, I think uh, as it developed, uh, death metal really came back into its own with a resurgence that was, I think it's strong some of its strongest material since it first came out of Florida in the nineteen eighties, and also it were part of that. But really, they combine both. I mean, the atmosphere of their recordings is absolutely colossal. Uh, it's truly heaving, and uh, and they combine that with the technical death metal style that's um, highly dissonant, uh, very disorientating and nauseating. Inside the structure of their songs, you're never quite sure what's going on, you're never quite sure where you are, and the structure of the songs is very unpredictable as well. Um, there's eight tracks across this album. They're all absolutely towering in terms of composition. What? Uh, well, I mean, the band really defined their style when they first emerged on their album, Everything is Fire, but then The Destroyers of All from 2011 was one of my favourite metal bands of the last decade for sure. Uh, albums, sorry, of the last decade for sure. And um, they then they became a little bit more dissonant and experimental on Vermis in 2013, but then the 2016 album Shrines of Paralysis was a bit more of a, of a return to um, the previous sound, which is a highly defined and calcified sound, uh, but still a retreat is a retreat, and I think it was interpreted that way a little bit, although I thought that was a stunning album as well. And what's What's tipped this album over the edge for me is they play around a lot more with melody on this album, and I feel like that has added that added an extra element to their sound that may have pushed them even further beyond the horizon. I really feel like this has the potential to go on to be their best album, which is no small feat. And I say that especially because, as astounding as I found some of their previous work, um, I never... I don't think I ever listened to an Ulcerate album for the first time and then thought, wow, I need to listen to that again the next day. You know, it needs some time to digest and you don't go back to them that often, I find. That wasn't the case with this. I needed to go back to it repeatedly when I first heard it um, because the amount of melody used, some might say it softens it. For me, it made it even more powerful. And this is a band that's always already conjured up a really terrifying power on record. They sound incredible. The real engine room is there their powerhouse drummer, Jamie St. Marat, who I think is also really the artistic driver of the of the band, given that he, he dabbles in um, in visual art and the like as well, in a way that a lot of metal artists, especially on the alternative metal scenes, tend to. So this, I mean, this is this is definitely going to be one of the standout metal albums from the of the year for me. Uh, possibly it, it may not be beaten. I think just because it's combined, it's 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 produced that alchemy of what they previously did so masterfully uh, and added this extra extra element that you know, has, has really boosted it above and beyond what they were already capable of um, and be highly intriguing to see if this is the same direction they continue to develop, to, to develop in. But I'd have to say they are one of the standout metal bands in the world today and this is an outstanding new album. I also got the new album by um, an exciting Finnish metal band, Aransi Pazuzu, at the same time. Uh, I've listened to that a couple of times, but I haven't listened to it anywhere near as much as this. 
because this one was the the, the jaw dropping one of the two to me. But I'll probably talk about Aranti Pazuzu next time or sometime in the future when I've listened to it more. But uh, yeah, ulcerate, stare into death and be still. And this is not music for everyone, but anyone who's inclined to listen to um, outstanding metal music or just wants to have a new experience and hear something truly astonishing, this is this is a record that fits that bill. I, I am going to download that right now. Yep. You you took the words out of my mouth, Clive. Um, it's on download. Um, well, well, very well, interested to see what you think of that. Well, you know, you, you give it that kind of a write up. You know, I'm gonna listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what, well, what I was saying, as I was saying about it, it does give it an extra sort of accessibility that a lot of their work never had. Uh, but it's still obviously very dark and to most people very impenetrable music and what puts most people off usually is just the vocals obviously it's always the same with extreme metal but mm. but yeah well, this is a hell of a record I mean I, I don't know for a fact that I like it but I'm always willing to try anything like that mm-hmm. um, yeah that's good cool excellent um, we are running out of time but I'm quickly going to mention the one other thing I wanted to talk about um, it's just the latest uh, novel I've finished um, during lockdown I've been reading a lot um, I'm currently for anyone who doesn't know currently furloughed from work although that could be ch- changing very soon um, so I've got I've had a lot of time on my hands I've tried to be productive but sometimes you just read books so I've been reading the 2019 novel The Nickel Boys uh, by Colson Whitehead Anyone who's listened to a books episode of this podcast before will know that I'm a big fan, having also read The Underground, uh, Railroad, and Zone 1, both of which I was a big fan of. Um, This is a novel set in the 1960s during the kind of civil rights movement, but not about them. It's set at the Dozier School, which is a kind of a reform school. Um, Our main character is basically a victim of injustice, he gets sent to this reform school. And th- this school is a place of nightmares, essentially, where if you speak out of line, you can get a whipping. And if you really do something wrong, uh, you can literally disappear into an unmarked grave. Uh, apparently inspired by a real school, the name of which I can't find offhand, but mo- most of what happens in the book really happened, albeit in different places. It- it's it's a stunningly well-written book. Um Whitehead is incredibly readable. The prose is not so dense or pretentious that, you know, it doesn't let you sink into it easily. But it just, it has this this fluidity, uh, this kind of immersion that I think the truly great books allow you to literally almost slip into a dreamscape. Uh, and his writing style, for me at least, does that. It's a, it you know it's it's a novel that does explore the race question, you know I don't want to sound like David Brent saying oh look at me I'm reading a novel by a ethnic minority person but um, my think, my all time favorite actor is Mr Sidney Poitier Poitier yeah <laughs> but I think naturally with with the state of protest going on at the minute I did gravitate towards one of the let's be honest very few authors I've got on my bookshelf who isn't a white male and. You know, it, it it deals with issues of race, it deals with issues of poverty, um, and it, it deals with issues of growing up outside of, you know, any other kind of issues. And um, it has a spectacular twist, which I won't spoil. I loved it. Ha- heartily recommended. Um, oh, yeah, I still need to read. Uh, which one would you recommend the most, Underground Railroad or this one, to start Under- with? 
I would still say Underground Railroad as a starting point because I think that's probably when it when it's all said and done, you know, some authors get remem- remembered for one book. I think if you were putting a bracket next to him, you know, what has he done? You would still go for the Underground Railroad, which is a masterpiece. Is this a masterpiece, Nickel Boys? I don't know about that, but it's still fantastic. Yeah, definitely Underground Railroad is the place to start. And if you enjoy that, or if you you know you take something from it, then I would recommend you go straight onto this. Cool. No, I'm definitely <clears throat> doing a lot of reading as well, so we'll add that to the list. Sounds great. Fantastic. I mean, that's all I had really to say. And like I said, we are coming towards the end of our time. The only other thing I'll briefly mention is that um, I'm currently, and like I said, I've got a lot of free time. I'm rewatching through all of the Pixar films in order. Unfortunately, oh, cool. unfortunately, including the Cars films, which have proved every <laughs> bit as bad as I feared. Um, but in between all of that, I'm obviously watching the classics. Um, I will keep. I will be doing a write up for the website after this, and I may. Yes. And I may you know, do a couple of reviews on the show. Did everyone see the uh, thing on Twitter where someone had trained their dog to do the Pixar opening? Oh yeah, that was incredible. It was <laughs> incredible. <laughs> I watch that. It was the speed that the dog turned and looked at the camera with. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the only disappointment was that the dog didn't do the jumping thing where it's trying to crush something. If they could have done that, even better. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, would you look at that time? Um, this has almost been perfectly timed, but how could we time it better, Clive? Um, we could have timed it better if it was plug time. Oh, wow, well, I feel violated. That, that was okay. ha- hauntingly erotic. <laughs> <laughs> That's our episode title. Um, right. <laughs> um, you can follow us at Stickaroundcast on Twitter. You can find us on slash Podcast on Facebook, which is a regurgitated Twitter vomit feed. You can find us on Instagram, Podcast. I think. Um, stickaroundpodcast.com is where you can find all our lovely articles including my top fives um, of every year from 1960 to at some point I guess the present day although I might actually stop five years before the present day and just kind of do it five years behind as a retrospective or something I haven't decided that yet and I don't need to decide that for another three years so we'll see <laughs> um, I think that's about oh, get, get on iTunes give us five stars we'd love that or just tell your mates, go, yeah, you should listen to this podcast. It's called Stick Around. It's really good. Go go, give it a listen. Um, email us at stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com if you've got any questions or anything you want us to answer on the show or if you just want to tell us we're great I've just rubbish. Had, I've just had a thought. Have we forgotten of, about Keith's Queef or do we even have one? Um, I'm glad you've had that thought because, yes, we do have some Keith's Queef. I, I thought we were going to be in a situation where I was going to have to pretend to be Josh and do his queef for him. <laughs> no, his queef, his queef is here, and I believe this is one that might get a reaction out of you, uh, Mr. Wayne. Okay. What, one other thing, by the way, send us, send us noises that are nothing less than paradigmatic of the city of Sheffield. <laughs> what a word. Wow. I'm not going to pretend I know what it means, but I think I do. I'm going to pretend I know. I've worked out in the context. <laughs> right, are you ready? Yeah. The world currently feels like a dystopian disaster. When thinking of dystopian fiction, the book which is most often referred to is 1984 by George Orwell. But don't bother with that. Read We by Yevgeny Zamyatin instead. Um, well, I don't, really, I don't really have a reaction because I haven't read this other book, but um, I would personally stay still bother with 1984, but, you know, I might read this other book as well. 
Yeah, same. I've not heard of it. I've I don't not heard think. Of it. No. no. So big, big claim from a from a Keith Corner or Keith Queef. <laughs> big be, claim from the a... big dog. <laughs> wouldn't be a Queef if it wasn't controversial. <laughs> wouldn't would it? I can't wait for his top three Terminator films. <laughs> oh god! That's in at number one, it's in at number one, it's Terminator Three. In at number two, it's the recent one with Daenerys Targaryen, and in at number th- <laughs> whatever, yeah, basically that's like going to uh, be wrong. That's like the final boss of Keeps Queef, something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how he's going to go out. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Um, right. Well, I suppose I best leave it there because I need to go. Cool. Um, have you got have you got any specific plans that you can talk about? Um, just going to see Elle's family for a birthday. Perfect. I hope you have a wonderful time. Are you going to the farm? Yeah, that's right. Indeed. So hopefully I'll see some sheep. Say hello to the sheep for me. <laughs> have, I will. Have a socially distanced great time. <laughs> <laughs> will do. Will do. Unless you've entered into a bubble, of course. Uh, no, we haven't given up a single household or whatever. Uh, I don't cast you. Yeah, you can't, can't do any bubbling. Can't keep up with the rules, you know. I know, it's tricky, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> um, I can't remember what I was going to say. It's, this is normally... You're, you're the host, Al, so this is kind of well, your I was, role. I was, I, was, I was waiting for you to finish. Um, uh, oh, okay. I was just going to say, uh, Michael's been Michael. Certainly he has. has. Alex Wayne has been Alex Wayne, and a splendid host, as always. Oh, thank you very much. He's been Clive Fisher, by the way. Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah. That's true. Remember to come back next time. Um, we've enjoyed having you. Um, stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around